0: This is the third of three launches of this year. And thank goodness it is the last launch because there are a lot of work for me. So the first launch we did was the whole theme of worship for the year. I had my junior high team here with us for that launch. Now last week we launched the book of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles. And we launched that series called A Life of Worship. That will take us the majority of the whole year to go through. That is the life of Saul and David. Today, we are launching the second series that we are going through. It's a 12-part series. We'll be doing it the last weekend of every month, and that is through the book of the Psalms. So, we're going to break that open. This series is entitled, Learning to Worship. We're going to do a few things through it. One is we're going to bring in a guest worship team that will come in and guide us in a way that's different than we normally do it. That is to get us out of our comfort zones and to allow us to see God in a slightly different manner. We will also be going expository through the psalm and we are going to be talking about ways that we can engage with the first 30, 35 minutes of our service when we're all singing and talking about what that Mean. so we will be launching all of that today, but I want to begin With part one of that series entitled a shepherd worthy of worship. I want to start with just one simple concept You will not worship what you do not find as good You will not worship what you do not find as good However, if you do find it to be good in fact awe-inspiring You will have a hard time Not worshiping that. So, we wrestle with worshiping other things in this world largely because we find them valuable. If we struggle worshiping God, we may struggle here, which is that we do not see God as good or valuable. So, I ask you this morning is God good? If He is good, how good? If he is great, then isn't worship something that we should have to contain and not generate? The fill in the blank is something that we've been told some of us in church since being children. However, it's not something that many of us own on a daily basis. The fill in the blank in front of you is this. God is good and he loves me very much. God is good, and He loves me very much. Today's message will be basic, deep, and encouraging. I want you to grasp it and hang on every word that we read out of Scripture. Because when I'm about to launch to you is something that you are familiar with. The danger of being aware of something or familiar with something is you shut off. You say, Oh, I had that on a plaque when I was growing up. Oh, I have that one on a bookmark in my Bible. The question is not, Do you know the words? The question is, Are you living the lifestyle? Today we will be studying Psalm 23. Perhaps the most famous of all psalms the lord is my shepherd. We know that one if I went through it and started citing it out loud Many of you would join in with me knowing every line But today very few of you will have ever heard it taught like this How do I know that it's going to be deep impactful powerful and unlike what you've heard is because I didn't come up with it there has been only three books I've ever taught from the pulpit where I would say that I kind of basically ripped off that author's material almost completely There is only one book I've ever done twice and that happens today It is through a book that as a matter of fact I went through 17 different commentaries to prepare for this message and got relatively nothing that I did not know When I read this book, it was life-changing it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. It was copyrighted in 1970 by a shepherd by the, uh, the name of Philip Keller. And he writes this very tiny book, easy to read. Some of you can read it in one sitting. It's a lot of white space, makes it easy to follow along. This guy is brilliant. And the way that he cracks open the scripture is unlike any other. And there is no point in me trying to teach something better than a master who wrote the book on it. So I will be sharing anything about sheep is from that guy. He was a shepherd for 15 years, ran a sheep operation in Africa. And He knows sheep backward and forward and when he looks at psalm 23 He lets us know that we might not be looking at it correctly So we're going to learn all kinds of material about that But before we get into the book of psalms, let's talk about the whole book in general What we will be doing is breaking out. I broke out all 150 psalms and slid them into categories and we will be trying to cover a sampling of each of the categories of psalms. Now, it is the largest book in the Bible, 150 chapters. It has the longest chapter and the shortest chapter in all of Scripture in it. It is the most widely quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, as we go through this book and you see familiar lines, you're going to feel like maybe the New Testament guys didn't read anything but psalms. You're also going to realize there's an awful lot about Jesus in there. As a matter of fact, Jesus died on the cross with psalms on his lips. He was going through and quoting much of Psalm 22, one of the most famous messianic psalms of all times. There are over 22 blatant prophecies about Jesus Christ specifically written in the book of Psalms hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus Christ came to this earth psalm is an amazing amazing book but let's start very basic psalms means poems to music as a matter of fact the hebrew title for the book is not the psalms that we know it's songs of praise i want you to think of this book as the hymn book of the old testament What that means is a few things. Number one, it is poetry. That means you must apply the rules of the genre of poetry if you're going to understand it. You cannot use the rules for narrative or literature of other sorts. It's not going to fly. You read it like a poem. It is passionate. Pour out your guts. This is how I feel. I'm exaggerating here. That kind of language. It's not cold prose it is passionate poetry there will be metaphors and parallelism and all different kinds of methods of speech utilized so we're going to kind of read through it together Uh, 116 of the 150 psalms have little titles under them maybe they do in your bible it will say david wrote this one or sing this one to this tune those were all added later they are not inspired they're not part of the original text ...that we have any knowledge of. We know that they were added in later. So are they accurate? Some of them are not. Some of them are. So who wrote the book of Psalms? Most of us would immediately say who? David. He always gets the credit for it. However, the book of Psalms is a compilation album. It is written by at least seven different authors. It is also, one of them is given to Moses... Now, Moses and David didn't live anywhere around the same time. If you take Moses as writing one of them and his poetry was compiled in, and you take some that were written during the period of Ezra, Psalms was written over a period of 900 years. It is a collection. When the Greeks, when they translated into Greek, the Septuagint, they broke it into five books. So Psalms, as you're reading through it, will say book one, book two, book three, book four, book five. Why five? Well, most scholars believe they were trying to duplicate the five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So you're going to see that it's organized in a really kind of odd fashion. They are not written in chronological order. They are not written with the authors in groupings. Some are written by David. One is written by Solomon. Some are written by worship leaders. And a whole bunch of them, nobody has any idea who wrote it. Even the ones written by David, as I told you, they are suspect because even the translation of the word of David could mean about David, kind of like David, in the spirit of David, for David. All that can apply. But there are some that we can absolutely track back and say, you know what? That's a Davidic psalm. That's a David psalm. And he was relatively around here in his life. All right, so if you go through the commentaries, you're going to find out that scholars break up the psalms into categories, and all of them do it different. Now, they're the brilliant ones. However, I didn't like their categories. All right? So I made my own categories. Now, I would go with theirs if I were you. However, you're in this church, so we're going to go with mine. All right? Now, what that did is it allowed me to break it into, I saw, four... Pretty clear categories. The four categories were, number one, instruction for life. Those are the ones that almost look more like a proverb. They will say, blessed is a man who lives like this, and the wicked will not prosper. And it basically gives you instruction on how you ought to conduct your life. Second category, instruction to praise. Those are the ones that say, listen, um, all of God's people, you need to sing like this, do this, take a look over here, clap your hands, do this. As he instructs us on how to praise God, those are included in that category. Number three, there is also just straight out praise. That is, whoever's writing it says, you know what, maybe you want to quiet down and just listen to me go off on God. That is the praise psalms. Fourth category and largest category... Cries for help Whether that is for repentance and mercy or protect me from my enemies Some of us would say how in the world is crying for help worship and praise of god We have a lot to learn about worship what worship means and we're going to learn that a little bit more this year All right final thing before we read psalm 23 is let's talk practically about what is occurring in the first 30 minutes of our service, I want to give you some little hints along the way. Some of you have a hard time engaging with that portion of the service. It's not your style of music. I, need, I completely understand that. It is not the style of music you listen to at home, it is not the style of music that some of you grew up with, it's not the style of music even necessarily that draws you to the Lord. This style of music, and obviously I'm not talking about Gungor. Theirs is even different, more different than what Jake leads us in. But the normal style of music that we lead in, I only listen to for the purpose of focusing on the Lord. It's my worship type music. It's not my listening music. It's not the style of music I would hit on the radio. So I get it. I understand that for you walking in here, it's a different environment. It's not what you normally engage with. But in that, some of us find it a huge block to sing along with it. So we do not. We retract back and pull back. However, that is not good. Here's what I want you to do. I want to give you a hint that may help you out. When we place the lyrics on the screen, we're placing them so that you might engage with what we're engaging with. So we can all do it together. It is an act of praise or sacrifice or offering to God. We would like everyone to be engaged with that. Here's one way you can do that. As you read each line of a song, I want you to look at it as a prayer. I want you to look at it, in every line, as we're singing it out, I want you to pray through it. Where you would look and ask yourself questions like these. Do I believe that line? Do I live that line? God, what can I do to change my life, to reorder it, to focus on that line? And you're praying through it in your mind. You may not be singing at all. In your mind and heart, you're reading it, and you're praying it back to God along with all of us. Also, some of you get a little bit tripped up on the repeating patterns. So we'll go, all right, well, now we're back to the chorus, and then we say it again, and we go, all right, we're singing the same line over and over and over. For some of you, you just go, that's irritating. Hold up. The Psalms do that. And his mercy endures Forever. Blah, 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 and his mercy endures forever. Blah, 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 and his mercy endures forever. Line after line after line after line. Repeating is not bad. It's a method of prayer. Repetitive prayer or meditative prayer is something that all the men of the Bible and women of the Bible were very familiar with. It means, say it till you own it. So most of us don't get it the first time through, so we're saying it again. Then we say it again, and then we say it again. Why? Because you're breaking through all the distractions until you own the prayer. That's what repetition is really all for. Now, a couple other side notes is some of us need to learn the art and discipline of singing out loud. I know that you go, you know what, that's not really my gig. I don't really sing anywhere. All right, first of all, this is where you and I are going to part. I'm the dude that sings really loud in the car, and I always have to ask my kids, is this okay? Is it all right if I'm singing this loud, right? My kids are like, no, nah, that's cool. Go for it, right, until I get off key. Then they're like, whoa, how about we change the song? I am super gregarious. I am kind of, I can lift my hands. I can do whatever in a public setting. Uh, It doesn't mean I have the best voice in the world, but I'm comfortable doing that. I've learned the art and skill of doing that at least outwardly. Not awesome, but a little bit. Now, some of you go, I've never sung in my life. I have no interest in singing out loud. That is a horrifying thought. Okay, here's my advice to you. Change. Here's why. God likes it. That's the bottom line. For some weird reason, we're going to examine the rest of this year. God wants you to sing a song to him. Why? Currently, I don't know. I'm going to come to church and find out the rest of the year why he wants that. I don't know. But he wants it. And he said, I want you to sing a song to me. And then some of us are going, yeah, I don't do that. I'm sorry, what? Your God said, I want you to sing a song to me. No, I'm not really into that. I don't care what you're into. I care what God's into. And he said, I want you to sing a song to me. Well, I'm not very good at it. I didn't say you were going to be good. Man, I live in heaven. I got angels singing to me. So clearly whatever you got is not going to be good. (laughs) I never said that. What I said was, I would like a song, please. Thank you. Some of us need to learn the discipline and art form of singing a song. We need to understand what melody is. We have to understand what harmony is. We have to understand how to say it out loud without being completely humiliated and dying inside. So we are going to work on that this year. Would you turn with me to Psalm 23, verse 1. Psalm 23, verse 1. It's page 392 in the Bibles that were handed to you. Psalm 23, verse 1. Let me just read through it quickly and then we'll pray. And we'll dive into the word. The Lord is my shepherd, so I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may you be glorified today that we might know you as the good shepherd, the one that loves us and cares for us and guides us and protects us. And Lord, that we might worship you more today because of who you have revealed yourself to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's read the first line through again, a little explanation. Yahweh is my shepherd. Make no mistake, this is the covenant name of God, the personal name of God, the name that is used more often than any other name in the Old Testament. When Moses saw the burning bush, he approached it thinking it was odd, and God began a communication with him. And when Moses said, who am I supposed to tell him is sending me? God said, let me tell you my name. You might want to write this one down. It's I am that I am. Wait, what's that? I am has sent you. That is Yahweh. Now, throughout the years, that was kind of translated, or what I would say mistranslated, into the word Jehovah. So, some of you are familiar, Jehovah and Yahweh are the same word. Okay, so a lot of you go, Jehovah-Jireh, it's actually Yahweh-Jireh. So, there's a little oddity there, but just understand, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the God that is the creator of all mankind, the creator of the world and the universe, is your shepherd. It's a very personal statement. He is my shepherd. Not just the shepherd of the guy across the street. Not the shepherd of the super spiritual. He is my shepherd. If you are a child of God. Which means you have repented of your sins. Surrendered to God. Given your life over. Cried out for a savior. And fallen at his feet. And said save me Lord. And made him the master of your life. then indeed you are. A child of God. And he is your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The phrase is actually continuing activity. It actually means, and Yahweh is shepherding me. It's an active thing. He is shepherding me, therefore I shall not be in want. Let's break that down. Who in the world put God in charge? God did. How is he your shepherd? How does he own you? Two reasons. If you're a Christian, you got two reasons that you're not your own. Number one, God made you. Number two, Jesus bought you. You understand what I'm saying? No, you're not your own. However, you have a good shepherd. We are the sheep of his pasture. There is no better metaphor for people than sheep. You're about to find out exactly Why? When I start discussing the idea of a shepherd and sheep, I don't want you to think sheep. I want you to think people. I want you to think people that you know. I want you to think yourself. I want you to go, how do I act like that? Oh my gosh, that means this or that leads to this. And let your mind go crazy out on that. Oh, this really means that God feels this way about me. Oh, well, God might do this for me. And I want you to dream and I want you to see things that you've never seen before. When... Philip Keller wrote this book. He started with a story that broke my heart. He said, as I was a shepherd, he goes, I was a good shepherd. I was a great shepherd. He said, my fields were the greenest, most lush in the whole region. Everybody wanted to be like me. But I was adjacent to an absentee landlord. A shepherd that was a hired guy who cared nothing for his sheep. His land had been eaten, barren, dry, and scorched. His sheep were weak and sickly, full of parasites. And during the drizzling rain, they would just stare through the fence at my land. And they were miserable. And no one cared. He said, that is the difference between having a shepherd that is sin and Satan. And a shepherd that is God. Satan doesn't care about you. Sin doesn't care about you. No matter how emaciated or weak or diseased you may become. There is nothing but laughter coming from that side. And there are people in the world. Maybe here today. That are looking through that fence. Jesus Is the door into the other pasture land. Accept him today. That's all I can say. But on this side where they are cared for. Where they are loved. Where they are thriving. He said no shepherd that's good. Has any other focus on his whole life. Than to get up every morning and make sure his flock thrives. It's what he lives for. One of the first things that you do as a shepherd when you receive a flock is you make them yours. You put your mark upon them. I want you to think in terms of God giving us the Holy Spirit. That he's the mark in us that says no matter where we go, if anyone messes with us, they're messing with God. He would take the sheep and he would kneel down by them and he would take a knife and he would notch into their ear a mark, a brand. It was painful to them. It was hard for him because he knew it was causing them discomfort. But ever after they would be known as his sheep, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. That does not mean that you're not going to have needs. It does not mean that you're not going to have struggle. Jesus promised struggle. David went through struggle. Everybody knows their struggle. But what it means is your spirit will never be depleted. You will always have a robust, powerful, deep-seated joy in your spirit that cannot be crushed by Satan if you remain tight to God. As you allow him to care for you, though your circumstances may be garbage, though bad things may be happening in your life, internally you are strong in the Lord. And then he told a story. The second that broke my heart. He said, there are certain sheep that I call fence crawlers. What they do is no matter how awesome their land is, they want to go on the other side of the fence. He said, I had one specific ewe, a female sheep, that was one of my most beautiful prized possessions. And she caused me more difficulty than the whole flock combined. He goes, I called her Miss Gadabout. Miss Gadabout would walk the line of the fence day in and day out looking for an opening. She would squeeze through. She would escape out. She'd go towards the sea of danger. She'd go towards poisonous plants. She'd go into the scorched earth where there was nothing to eat. It was never enough for her. No matter how lush it was, no matter how perfect it was, no matter how much work he put in, she wanted something else. Never content, never okay with the way things were, always longing for something else. He said, then she became a mom and had little lambs, and she taught the lambs to do the exact same thing. They'd walk the fence back and forth, just like mom did. Then she started to teach the other sheep to do the same thing, and they became discontent. He said, so I took her. And I butchered her in my own hands. I killed her for the sake of the flock. Because she was destroying everyone. He said, I didn't want to do it. But enough was never enough for her. Are we applying this to our lives, folks? Or do we get that? Do you understand? I'm not, we're not thinking sheep, right? We're thinking us. Is that you? No matter how God prepares Your life for you, it's never enough. You always want something else. You always want something more. And you walk the fence day in and day out. You want what the world has. You want to go over into the barren land. You want to go by the poisonous stuff. You want to keep going and you'll just walk every day. Nothing is ever enough for you. You're going to start teaching your kids to do the same thing. You're going to start teaching the church to do the same thing. It's not right. Paul said, I've learned the secret to being content, which means it's not natural to you you got to work on that. you got to re rack your spirit. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And he restores my nephesh Is the word in Hebrew. That is the word that we translate soul. It's not a spiritual word. It means the strength of you. Your, your joy. Your power. Uh, the part of you. What we would call our heart. He restores my heart. When it says he makes me lie down in green pastures, some of us in our English, we go, well, that's mean. Lay down. No, you're missing it. He makes me lie down, meaning he makes it possible for me to lie down. There are four things that sheep need or they will not lie down. They will remain standing until they're exhausted and fall over. What four things? Well, number one, they need to be free from fear. Number two, free from friction from others. Three, freedom from pests. And four, freedom from hunger. Let's talk about fear for a second. Sheep are absolutely scared out of their minds all the time. I just spit apparently everywhere. That was nice. Sheep are scared of everything. Why? Because they have no defense mechanism. Right? We all understand that. we talked about that before. What's a sheep going to do? I'll either bite you or what? I'll wool you to death. Right? You're like a big cotton ball running and attacking people. It's just not effective. Right? So you're only way of escaping is to run you can't get up and run fast if you're laying down so what do you do you remain alert and standing and they will do that as long as there are predators around as long as there is danger they will not lay down secondly there is cruel competition among sheep there's what's called a budding order that means one sheep goes up and goes why you eating my grass what's up with that wham nails them with their head you're like, what? What are you doing? All right, I'm moving on. All right. Then the other one, why you you laying there? That's my bed. Okay, it's the same thing. It goes on just like people. And then when they beat them out, they go and pick on all the timid ones. Then they pick on the more timid ones, and it goes all the way down. He said, but both fear and this friction against each other, both those things calm down when the shepherd shows up. They're like, what? I wasn't butting anybody. What are you talking about? No, I'm cool. I'm cool. I don't know. We were just talking. I don't know, right? What about parasites and pests? They'll just swarm on the sheep, and the sheep will remain ready to run to try to get it away from them. Food? Green pastures don't accidentally happen in an arid, dry country like the Middle East. Unless you're on the coast, you have to prepare it and make green grass. It's a lot of work by the shepherd. So he makes me to lie down in green pastures because he went ahead and prepared all of it so they might rest. The way sheep grow is they eat a bunch of grass, kick back, lay back, ruminate, right? What some of you think your husband does on Sunday is fantastic, all right? Just tell him, say, honey, I'm ruminating, which is just totally gross. All right, moving on. He leads me beside quiet waters. You don't just find good water. The shepherd has to know where it is or he has to prepare for it. Sheep don't like drinking from running streams. So they cut out a, a section of the stream, let the water eddy and slow down. But here's the problem. Even as you are leading sheep to clean water, and I want you to picture what this means in your life. As you are leading sheep, you cannot drive sheep. You drive cattle. You do not drive sheep. You lead sheep. As you are leading sheep to clean water, they keep stopping and drinking the potholes. The contaminated, nasty, urine-filled water that all the other sheep went to the bathroom in on their way through. They stop by going, well, that's the best I'm going to get. I'm totally thirsty, so I'm here. But do you ever think about what's going on in your life? What are you trading? God is trying to lead you somewhere and you keep stopping and drinking it. what? It's garbage. You know it's garbage. Oh, it's the best I'm going to get. No, it's not. He's leading you somewhere. Trust your shepherd. Stop settling for second best. He said he restores my soul. Do you remember the time when King David said, why is my soul so cast down? Do you remember that? Why are you so downcast, oh my soul, is how we know it. Well, that's actually a shepherd phrase. To be cast down is a sheep that falls over and can't get up. Here's how it happens. What sheep do is they look for grooves in the land. And then they go, oh yeah, that's right, that's awesome. And then they lay down, right? Well, then they stretch. And then they're like, can't touch the ground. Can't touch the ground, right? And they're like, oh no! And they start panicking. Well, the more they panic, the more they roll on their back. Then they're flailing like crazy, and all the blood drains out of their legs. And finally they just stop. And they're like, hey, somebody out there? Help me out here. Can't get up. Shepherd has to literally go over, and if he doesn't get them, if it's cold... They have about four hours, or they will die. You have to watch for the sheep that you go, they fall over. He's like, got to go get that one. You got to bring them back up, hold them between your knees, and rub the circulation back into their legs. Then they're like, I got it. No, I'm cool. They fall over again. Pick them back up, rub circulation back into their legs, and there they go. Sound like some people you know? Yeah. We got them here. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That means right paths as opposed to crooked paths. It's not even talking necessarily about a spiritual thing. He leads me in all the right directions on the places that will not destroy me is actually what it means. Why does he do that? For his name's sake. It's not about us. Stop making the whole world about you. It's not about you. It's about God. And when you look good, God looks good. If the sheep look good, you look at the shepherd and go, wow, you're doing an amazing job. He knows that. So, just as Gungor taught us, he can make beautiful things out of dust. Why? Because when he makes beautiful things, you go, wow, who made that? And it looks good on him. But he leads us in these paths. Success is found in obedience. Sheep are creatures of habit. They will walk things into ruts that are dangerous. They will eat ground to it bare and ruin the root. And it will completely devastate the land. So for the sake of their lives, shepherds must always keep sheep moving. You ever felt like God was just agitating you? And you never felt like you could just chill and always live in the same place and do that? God's moving you. He's moving you and one of the hardest things about being a shepherd is keeping your sheep on the move Finding new land going 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 at all times because they will eat themselves dry Are we not that way? Hey, i'm already doing it this way. I don't want to grow God will agitate you and he will make you grow Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death that word in hebrew is dangerous darkness Even though I walk through dangerous darkness, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We just shifted from he to you. It just got more personal. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Let's talk about that. The valleys of deep darkness. Why in the world would a good shepherd take you through a valley of deep darkness? Because it's the only way to the mountaintop. It's the only gentle way to lead the sheep up that they can handle. It is the only place to find food along the way and water along the way. So he leads them up to get up to the mountaintop. Oh, I want this great relationship with God. Oh, I want to be on fire. I want to be in this mountaintop experience like Moses. How are you going to get there? You're going to walk through the valley of deep darkness where predators are waiting. Should you freak out about it? It's the only way up to the mountain, and it's the only way back home. Oh, you're going through the valleys. But I will not fear. Why? Because my bodyguard is here. When I have God here, what exactly can the world do to me? You got nothing. I am safe. Why? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, the ancient uh, shepherds would travel very light because they were nomadic so they would basically grab two things a staff and a rod both of them hewn out of wood for their particular hands it was their particular stuff here's what they would use the staff for a lot of it was for walking kind of basically balance for walking and also to lean on because they had to stand there for a really long time and look out at the sheep so they'd stand there and lean on their staff but also it was for guidance what you do is the way that you lead sheep is that you tap them on the side and go everybody going left going left going left here we are here we are all right going right going right you tap them and you steer them around but there was other uses for the staff there are some sheep that are timid and don't want to be near the master no matter how good he is they're just sketchy they're just a little skittish oh my gosh you can't be around him he's freaking me out okay does god have kids like that yeah So what he does, he takes the crook, which is on the end, and he hooks him around the neck and brings him around, going, come here, little buddy, come on, you got to be next to me. I can't handle you. Okay, come here, scoot over here. And the other thing is he restores families with it. What does that mean? It means that when the newborns are separated from the mom, if you touch them, you'll put your smell on them and they'll be rejected. So what you have to do is you have to scoop them up with a crook and lift them over and put them back with their mom so you don't touch them. So the staff is very, very important. As a matter of fact, do you realize that in this world, they mostly use sheep for wool? They don't use them for meat. So you actually have the same sheep for a really, really long time. So they become your pets. So you name them, you know them all, you call them and they'll come. Uh, last night I got done with a message and a gal came up and she started smiling and she said, I got to tell you this, I grew up on a sheep farm in Africa. She goes, this guy who wrote the book, he nailed it. She goes, that's my, my brother runs it right now, 55,000 acres in Africa down on the bottom. And he is there running sheep all the time. She said, we grew up feeding the lambs and doing all these different things. She said, we know all this stuff and we'd always call them by name. We do this. Okay. So basically the way a shepherd would work is he would call his, one of his favorite sheep, right? You basically have one that's totally cool. It's like your cool sheep, right? We're going to call the sheep Conan. Now you have conan the sheep and what you do is you take your staff and you lay it on the side like a leash You lay it on the side and you'll just walk with him You guys are just kicking back like you're walking taking a walk all the other sheep are wandering around You got conan right here by your side and you're walking. You're just holding on to him. It's a way of staying in connection Maybe god does that with some of you But the rod is a little different the rod is a weapon of sorts He said, you should watch these ancient shepherds where they take this thing and they throw it like a boomerang. Bail stuff from distance away. Anything comes by, bam, knock it over. They're excellent at it. They would stop predators and knock out cougars and all these other problems that would fight against their sheep. It would protect the shepherd. It would protect the sheep. It was a comforting factor, but it was also a discipline issue. Literally, if the little sheep were trying to go off into the sea and they were about to fall off a cliff, bam, knock them over. There stop doing that Then they walk towards a poisonous bush Whoop, Bam knock them on the head Don't touch that It's a discipline thing But it was also a counting thing As the sheep go back into the fold He would count them make sure none was missing And then he would examine them He lays his rod on their wool Because it's so thick you can't see the parasites And you have to run it along their back very slowly And look for parasites Your rod and your staff they comfort me Is discipline comfortable? It is for those that are being hurt. Let me give you a very somber announcement. As we are wrapping this up. I believe that in this year of worship. God is calling the leadership of this church. Into a very difficult era. I believe that when we asked. For to be a congregation of worship. Where God moves freely. God's response was. Then clean up some of the garbage. That is destroying my heart The elders and pastors of this church Have been drawn in by God To already some current scenarios Where blatant sin was occurring A sort that hurts other people We have stepped in and we have brought down discipline Some people have responded to that with restoration Hope, repentance and surrender Others have responded by bitter, bitterness, anger, lashing back. I will tell you this, though this year is the year of worship for the congregation, and it will be a year of warfare for the leadership. Satan's not only attacking us, but we're stirring up a hornet's nest when we start telling you, you can't do that anymore. Do I want to do that? Absolutely not. Will I? Yes. Why? Because it's my job to make sure you're healthy. And you can't hurt each other or no one will lie down. You understand? I know I'm just a man. Our elders know that they are sinful men just like the rest of us. But we have a job to do. We have a role to fulfill. And it is our task to make sure that you stop killing each other. Right? Let's close it out You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows Surely good and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the lord forever Some say that right here is a shift in metaphor. It goes from a shepherd To a host at a banqueting table and indeed you can fit them both ways Now philip keller says nope. He's still talking shepherd In this manner, he said you prepare a table before me The table lands are the plateaus, the best grass, the best lands. They're hardest to get to, but they are the best. You have to prepare it. Pull out all the poisonous weeds ahead of time. Make sure that you keep away predators. You prepare a table before me, and no matter what predators are around, I am safe. You anoint my head with oil. Many times as you brought somebody to a banquet of honor, you would anoint their head. Jesus expected that when he went to Simon the Pharisee's house. But a sinful woman had to anoint him, if you remember. Is that what it means? Is it the anointing of a king like Samuel's going to do to Saul and David? Or is it still a sheep motif? Because it may just mean nose flies. Here's why. Flies go all over sheep face. All the way around them. Why? Because sheep have wet noses. And wet noses are awesome for laying baby flies. So what they do is they fly around and try to lay them right inside their nose. Then it turns into larvae, little worms, that work their way back through the nasal canal, back up into their head, and lodge into the meat of their skull. It is so irritating and inflammatory. Sheep will literally smash their head against a rock to try to get the pain to stop till they die. On first sign of disease, the shepherd has to smear this nasty stuff all over their head. Linseed oil, sulfur, and tar smoosh it all over their head and the sheep are like ah Because the flies hate that stuff they won't get near it and it brings peace to their soul You anoint my head with oil my cup overflows that is generosity that god has for us So surely if I have a shepherd like that goodness and loyal love will follow me Intensely pursuing all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the lord forever the bottom line of what we seek is to be with a shepherd for all time. That we will return to the sheepfold and be in his house forever. The lady said last night that when it got really, really cold, there were some orphan lambs. They didn't have anyone to keep them warm. So they'd bring them into the kitchen. They'd hang out by the stove where the little lambs would just kind of hang out there and be all warm. I would love to be an orphan lamb in the kitchen of God. That would be awesome. I close with a quote by Warren Wearsby. We'll pray, and there's a one, there's a, I guess, 60-second video of the Psalm 23. I want you to look at it through new eyes. This is the quote. Under the old covenant, the sheep died for the shepherd. Under the new covenant, the shepherd died for the sheep. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your protection, your love, your shielding. May you be glorified in us. May we reflect who you are. In Jesus' name we pray.